You're listening to Ascendant Health and Politics, a show about the day's emerging public health issues and the intersection of politics. Your hosts are Kyle McGowan and Amanda Campbell. So Kyle, I've been really intrigued reading about the incoming national security team for the new Biden administration and how a lot of them were, it seems like, practically lying in wait together at a consulting firm called West Exec. And it really got me thinking about what the incoming healthcare team is going to look like um, and whether or not we're going to end up seeing a lot of repeats from the Obama administration coming on for another tour of duty. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be too surprising, though. I mean, this happens all the time. I mean, in the the Trump administration, we had a a number of uh, Bush administration officials that came back. I mean, Secretary Azar, Deputy Secretary Hargan, um, you know, Andrew Brimberg, Joe Grogan, and a bunch of others. I mean, these are all people who served in the Bush administration that that came back uh, again. I came back in different roles now. I mean, I think the secretary, what was Secretary Azar in, in the Bush administration? Yeah, he served as the general counsel for HHS right. during his um, first stint at the department. And then he was confirmed as deputy secretary, actually. Secretary. Oh, okay. That's yeah. right. And then, and then Deputy Secretary Hargan, this time around, he was previously... He was the deputy general counsel with uh, Secretary Azar. So they actually had the opportunity to serve together. And then he was also the principal associate deputy secretary and acting deputy secretary for um, for HHS during that time. Right. And Andrew, I mean, he came back and had a very, very big role um, throughout the administration. But early on, I mean, he, he worked on the... Um, transition, right? Is that correct? Yeah, he led the transition team for the Trump administration, right. actually. Um, and that was a good fit for a lot of different reasons. But um, he actually is a former McConnell aide for, mm, okay. um, and actually did a lot working with McConnell's team in the early days of the administration doing some reviews of Obama regulations that they actually were able to backtrack using um, a little known Congressional Review Act, a piece of legislation that actually allows Congress to override um, pieces of regulation that an administration does sort of in their last days. Interesting. Yeah. But Andrew was in the um, Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health during his stint at HHS during the Bush administration, and he uh, rose up the ranks while he was there, kind of serving at the very bottom, but making it all the way to chief of staff. And really did a lot for that office during his time there. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and then also the last one that I mentioned earlier was was Joe Grogan. I mean, uh, who is he? What I mean, I know who Joe Grogan is, but what did he do in the in the prior Bush administration? In the prior Bush administration, he was the executive director for the President's Advisory Council on HIV and AIDS, or PACHA. Um, I feel like we use so many acronyms in this podcast, but there's just so many in healthcare in general. Um, and then after he served in that role, he ended up going over to the FDA and was a senior advisor to the commissioner, right. um, which makes sense uh, because he did he leverage that into working for some pharmaceutical companies before coming back to this administration. So it's not uncommon for people to serve in a, a, a as a political and a, an administration, and then when the Democrats or the Republicans take back over, to come back and, and serve in a similar or different role. I mean that that just happens all the time, right? I mean it does, and you know the list of of names that we could recount probably extends far beyond just these few. But um, I think it's important to think 
about these because they were really the most influential in the early days of the administration, um, setting out policy, and then now here in these in these final you know few weeks. Um, because Andrew Brimberg, as you mentioned, was head of the transition team, but then from there he went on to become the head of um, Domestic Policy Council. But with his extensive background in healthcare and his experience at HHS, it really meant that he was a, 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 a loud voice and a big leader. Because um, if you remember, at the beginning of this administration, that was when we were putting out um, and doing our best to come up with a new plan for healthcare reform um, and actually repeal Obamacare. Now that failed, but it goes to show that whoever holds that position, depending on what their interests are, can really determine a lot about where the direction of the Domestic Policy Council goes. Because the same was true for Joe Grogan. He initially came into the administration um, as an associate director or administrative director, can't remember what the right title is, but he was at um, the Office of Management and Budget. OMB. OMB. And he was over... HHS. Right. And so he had a hand in uh, a lot of policy making in that role. Anything that was tied to the budget, everything is tied to the budget, if you didn't know that. But then he became the head of the Domestic Policy Council when Andrew Bremberg vacated that role um, after he was appointed to become the representative of the U.S. to the United Nations for us. So that meant that Joe, being in that role, had the opportunity to continue to influence health policy decisions, which he did, and, you know, leverage that, too, to be a part of the COVID-19 task force. Right. Yeah. And Joe was very helpful uh, early on for for us when we were at the CDC, I know, in in the HIV, uh, ending HIV epidemic and and some of the other... um, he was you know, a really important advocate for us, right. actually, in helping to get that over the finish line. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it's important to have people, I mean, everyone wants to talk about, you know, HHS secretary, CDC director, and some of these high profile, but, you know, I think the vast majority of Americans have never heard of the Domestic Policy Council and the people that are in those roles, but they really do have a large uh, leadership role in the direction that that we go on, not just healthcare, but that's right. Policy in general. And and I mentioned or made that joke about acronyms, but when you're working with these vast government entities and organizations, for folks who have no experience in them, they can come in and spend a lot of time just trying to learn the organizations themselves and, and who the people are, how they're organized, how decisions are made, all those types of things. And that, you know, that takes time, which is really you don't have a lot of it because any administration coming in is going to be doing a lot of their sort of foundational policy making, if you will, in those first hundred days. So it's critical to have a team that knows sort of the ins and outs, um, really on day one. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we had that, I mean, we, we had the learning curve as well. I mean, we, we came in in, in uh, early 2017, uh, you were on the beachhead team. I was there just a few days after, um, you know, prior to me joining HHS, I had, you know, worked, um, in, in government for almost a decade, uh, really working with a member of Congress who was a physician, Dr. Price, um, you know, very kind of immersed in healthcare and healthcare policy. And there was a huge learning curve, even for me, and the 
alphabet soup that is HHS. I mean, everyone knows CDC, FDA. A lot of people now know NIH. Uh, but there are so many other just acronyms within um, just the Department of HHS. And there's this huge learning curve when you come in to an organization that is over a trillion dollars and over 80,000 employees like HHS. And so it's important in the first 100 days that these individuals build a team around themselves. Uh, and, and, and you know, they're not going to be doing a lot of policy in the first 100 days. It's really going to be a lot of learning, even for some of the people who have come back and are serving in, in similar roles that they've had previously, you know, a lot of things have, have changed. And and I know with our own experiences, I mean, coming in early on, it was like drinking from a firehouse. I mean, you were there on Beachhead. Like, what, what does that mean, Beachhead, what, to our listeners? So basically what that means is that day one, so the day of the inauguration or day one of the administration, we were in the doors. We were inside the building and actually watched the um, inauguration from the secretary's um, operations center, which is across the hall from his office. And basically what that means is that, you know, we were at the very beginning starting to figure out, you know, personnel decisions and, and where folks were going to see the work that they were going to do. And then we were also trying to begin to get a handle on what work was continuing. And a lot of that was briefings. So um, my role on Beachhead was actually the budget. And so I spent probably the first three or four weeks or so just getting daily briefings from the budget team to kind of get a, a status report of where each of the agencies within HHS were currently and kind of what the um, issues were going to be in the next few months to a year. Um, so that once we did get our secretary confirmed, Secretary Price at the time, um, that I would be able to immediately begin to advise him on, on what was coming down the road. Right. And even in that time of transition, which I would call relatively normal, right? I mean, at the end of, of uh, when you're getting close to an end of a, uh, an administration, typically what happens uh, is that departments and centers or agencies within those departments are putting together briefing books, books that you and I read on day one when we came in, and you have career officials that are ready to kind of help in this transition time to get everyone up to speed in their position so that there's as little, um, I guess, uh, transition. I mean, there's always going to be a difficult transition, but I mean, the whole role in those first hundred, our whole goal in those first hundred days is to kind of get people up to speed and briefed and in positions where they want to continue, as you said, continue certain things and not continue other things. My question is like, is that happening right now? I think it's beginning to happen um, because of the announcement that the G the GSA administrator um, made, I guess a week or so ago now, right. and actually allowing career officials to begin to communicate with the Biden transition team. Um, but and and a lot of credit needs to go to those career officials who sure. actually put together those very lengthy briefing briefing books that you know. They're an inch or two deep, but they're incredibly informative. And 
these folks are professionals. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They've been through this before and they know what it takes to make a smooth transition. Um, and I think that you and I really got to benefit from that. And I certainly felt like I got to see it firsthand, uh, not only on transition, but also on beachhead as well. Right. Um, because at that point, you know, there are so few politicals you've, you've really got to engage those career staff immediately and begin to build those relationships and build that trust. Because at the end of the day, you know, all we were trying to do was, was to help and make sure that things were continuing to move on smoothly. And then of course, you know, get into those more permanent roles. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I really, um, having lived through it, I, I feel for the, the Biden folks that are coming in. Um, we didn't have to do that transition during the middle of a hundred year pandemic. Um, they are, so mm-hmm. it's, um, it's going to be difficult. I, I, at best, um, um, as it always is, but when you throw a, a pandemic in it, it's going to be, both difficult and extremely important that this goes as smoothly as possible. So, but, but what does the, the Biden health team look like so far? I mean, we've got a couple of announcements that have, uh, should be coming out in the next day or so. Um, what, what are some of those names that we're hearing so far? Yeah. So the, fir- the few names that we have at this point, um, were a little bit unexpected, at least for folks at the top. So, um, we've recently just found out that Sarah, the current attorney general for the state of California, is going to be their pick for secretary of HHS. Um, Rochelle Walensky, uh, who is currently the head of infectious disease at MassGen, has been named the CDC director. And then Jeff Zients and Natalie Quillian have been named the um, director and deputy director of the COVID-19 response. Um, and then uh, an, another, or excuse me, well, one of the repeats from the Obama administration is Vivek Murphy, who has um, said that he will serve as Surgeon General again. And then, of course, they've said that Tony Fauci is going to continue in his role at the NIH, but also as the chief advisor for Biden on COVID-19. Um, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised and excited to hear about Dr. Walensky at the CDC selfishly for my own uh, purposes, because, you know, near and dear to both of our hearts was the ability and, and the the chance we got to work on the Ending HIV initiative. Um, with her background, I believe, hopefully, that will be an initiative that will continue under her leadership. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful that she's going to be really a breath of fresh air for the for the agency as a whole uh, when she gets there, because she's going to speak their language as an infectious disease doc, even though her background is in HIV. You know, I think we've seen a lot of parallels in the way that COVID spreads. That's similar to STDs, actually. That was something that we talked a lot about when we were still at CDC. Um, and so I think that experience is going to help her to be a good advisor Um to the incoming administration as director of the CDC, but it also means that she's going to have a listening ear to, um, like for the career scientists there. And I think that's going to make a big difference overall. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing is, I think all of these positions, as we mentioned, they're going to have a lot of different, um, I guess first hundred days are going to be extremely difficult for 
all of these individuals. And, you know, they, they really need to lean on and um, listen to the career officials there at HHS, at the FDA, at CDC. You know, uh, these folks are really, really, as you mentioned early on, experts and just wonderful at what they do. You know, I, I guess if we were to give some unsolicited advice to these individuals coming in, what would it be? Um, I think there are a few things that are, are really top of mind for me, um, which is that they create an opening to actually hear and listen to the career officials, not only at the CDC, but across the department. And some of that is going to happen naturally because of the fact that they aren't going to have their team fully built out. And even the Sarah is going to have to go through a confirmation process. So it's not like he's going to be there on January 20th. Right. And that's going to create a bit of an opening. But really what is going to be required is a shift in mindset and that willingness to actually once again, work side by side rather than what we've seen, I think, in the past several months. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, some of the things that we live through um, and the reason that we say things like listen to the CDC careers, listen to the scientists, um, you know, in our previous podcast, we said, you know, hey, maybe it's a good idea to actually let the CDC talk to the American people in the public. Um, the reason we say things is like that is because, you know, frankly, they weren't allowed over the past, you know, eight months. Um, you know, a perfect example of something that I hope will happen over the next um, hundred days or so is getting back to allowing the CDC to put guidance documents out in a way that they've done for years and years and years and not what we've had to live through over the summer. And, you know, I don't think it's it's very well known, but typically in a public health response, if the CDC wants to put a guidance document out, it puts a guidance document out. It just slaps it up on the website. It'll do, you know, the, the they'll get uh, someone on the phone to do a uh, telebriefing with public health reporters. So these are reporters that report on healthcare and public health. And answer questions, and and this is how the CDC typically gets its message out. So it's almost like real time. As Correct. they have information, they are providing it to the American people. Absolutely. The whole point is to get information and guidance out as quickly as possible so that people can start implementing it. Whether it's us individually, wear a mask, okay, or states, giving information to states and how states should, you know, run nursing facilities or whatever the guidance is. The whole point is quickly as possible. And, you know, early on in the COVID response, early on meaning January, February, um, you know, guidance documents came out quick. You know, we, 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 we would have our, um, you know, scientists and doctors say we need to put a guidance out on X and it got out relatively quickly. But, you know, we started to see this slow erosion of the guidance process that was pretty frustrating for, for me, I know. Um, it was for you as well. But, you know, we, we would have people at HHS higher up the ladder and people at the White House, you know, maybe sometimes upset with us for putting guidance documents out without their knowledge. You know, I, I will say, and I, I may not, this may not be um, well 
this may not be taken well among some people um, at the the CDC and other places, but I'm okay with that, right? I'm I'm perfectly fine letting politicals higher up the food chain know what's coming. Now, what I don't agree with is letting those politicals change the documents. Right. And so early on, what was happening is it was all for awareness. You know, we would report these tomorrow guidance on meat packings coming out or whatever it was. Um, and slowly the requests changed to, well, we want to see the documents before they go out. So there's that shift from needing to know for awareness and enabling them to do a better job from a coordination standpoint, that type of thing, to we actually want to see what's being written ahead of time and have an opportunity to influence it. Right. And and so, again, it was a what I would call a slow mission creep that was unhelpful to the response and to the CDC. I mean, as an example, you know, typically early on the CDC would just put a guidance out, then it was awareness, and then it was reporting up, okay, just to HHS to have a look at. And then it was, you know, uh, Vice President Pence took over the task force and the reporting structure changed. And now it is every single document that is coming out from the CDC has been requested to go all the way to the task force, coronavirus task force. Well, again, you're having Debbie Burks and Tony Fauci and other doctors look at it. And, and, and they give oftentimes really good advice and suggestions, but these are doctors um, suggesting things to other doctors at the CDC. And typically they were suggestions, but that slowed down the process. And then again, that warped into something else, which is people outside of the task force meaning non-doctors at OMB and, you know, Treasury, USAID, US, um, uh, I mean, the U.S. Department of Agriculture and other places were now wanting to make edits to our CDC scientific guidance. It was pretty widespread, if I remember correctly, to folks in and around the White House, as well as pretty much any department that had an interest or desire, really, to yeah. see what CDC might be putting out, um, had the opportunity to review. And it really, kind of to your point, it was this slow, um, slow trickle effect, really, that happened over time. And But what it meant was that we went from being able to identify an area of need where clear a clear message wasn't getting out to the American public and our subject matter experts at the CDC, the career scientists there, being able to develop, write, edit documents within a couple of days even and putting it out for public consumption and use to a month. days, weeks, yeah, and a month. Or, or or later in some cases. I mean, I distinctly remember times where we would get edits back from the White House to their own edits. And I mean, this is, and, and I think we, I, I say all this in, in that um, the Biden administration and the people that are coming in to take these very important positions during this very important time, they will fail. 
They will absolutely fail if they repeat the mistakes that have been made over the past 10 months. Mm -hmm. And I hope that's not the case. I hope that they come in and they allow these experts in their field to do their job and listen to them and allow the CDC and other public health officials to talk to the American people. And it's not that I'm mad and I just want them out there more. It's that people don't want, the American people don't want to hear from politicians and they don't want to hear from political appointees with no background in healthcare. They want to hear from the doctors who, as we talked about in last our, our last podcast, who approve the vaccine and who's getting it. They want to hear from these individuals because they're the experts. And it's my hope that in the first hundred days, these healthcare folks that we've talked about or the folks coming into HHS and the CDC uh, for the Biden administration will 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 do just that. Yeah. Well, and I hope I know that you know Dr. Walensky will have um, a lot to do in that regard because you know she will not have to go through a confirmation process right. like Becerra will. So there's a an opportunity for her to actually be there on day one if they can you know get that set up in time. But I think her leadership will go a long way to helping you know restore a lot that um, has been lost these past several months, but really more importantly um, to help reinstill the trust and the brand and the image of CDC, both within, um, you know, the administration, but, but also the American people. I I have high hopes for Dr. Walensky too, but it's even more than that. It's, It's she, she has to be allowed to allow the doctors at the CDC to do their job, which mm-hmm. maybe hasn't been done to the fullest extent here recently. Yeah. So, well, that's all the time we have for today. As always, remember to stay classy, stay healthy, America.